You're listening to We, we, we the Aether Podcast, within and without. Welcome. Jake, thank you for taking the time to have this conversation today. I'm sure a lot of people are going to appreciate this chat, and you've got a big audience online, especially in the spiritual wellness type of niche, and a lot of people really, really wanting to better themselves. So I thought reaching out to you would be a, a great opportunity to have this conversation. And just to kick things off, do you mind introducing yourself, what it is you're involved in, what it is you're doing on a day-to-day basis sort of thing? Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me here too. It's an honor. You know, I, I grew up in, in a small farm town in upstate New York called Greenwich with more, uh, more cows and people. And, you know, we, we didn't hear about things like spiritual healing and stuff like that. And yeah, I grew up with a lot of pain, man. I grew up in, in a very violent household. And I'm sure we're going to get into this. But like a lot of your listeners, I experienced a lot of traumatic childhood memories that really kind of got locked in my system at a very young age. And I basically have devoted my life to my own healing so then I could actually turn around and help others heal as well. And just my pain that I experienced was the catalyst for my transformation and my healing. And when I was going through it, I had no idea why. It was like, I just felt like I was just going through hell and I thought it was never going to end. But that pain that I, I went through led me into coming into this soul's purpose, this soul's calling if you will. And because of that, that, that opened where all this pain was, this opened up the light within me where I could really start to see my true essence more and more. The more I peel back these layers of suffering, of pain, of abuse, all that stuff. So my healing is what got me into doing what I do now and was really the catalyst for why I got into this type of work in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, so you were brought up. In, what was the main source of your your pain or trauma during during your upbringing that that caused that, uh, that for you? <laughs> there's multiple sources, man. I mean, there was, I wouldn't say there's just one, but mm. we'll start with the easy ones. We'll, we'll go sure. with the easy ones. We'll leave with the, easy, sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. the easy ones that stay with you for twenty years. Yeah, yeah. I you guess, know, yeah. as a young boy in a small town, I had such a surplus amount of energy, like. So much energy to the point where my mother would constantly threaten to send me away to misbehave school for, for boys, which was like a military school at the time. And I was, I would be like, no, I'm not going to that shit. Like I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'd fight against her every single day, but I just always had so much energy. I could never focus. I could never sit down and never did well in school. But then around six years old, I discovered this thing called sugar. And I became instantly addicted to sugar. It was like crack to me. And at one point, I was literally eating tubs of frosting out of the cabinets. My mom had to like hide all the sugar in the house. That's how bad this, this got. So because of my sugar addiction that was so lovely introduced to me, I really was overweight for a lot of my life, actually up until about 20 years old. So if there's 20 years of my life, I struggled with obesity. And there was a lot of bullying, a lot of shame and stuff like that going on in school. And that was like the first layer to my pain. The second layer to my pain was the relationship to my, with my father. And for any of you listeners that have had, you know, any traumatic experiences with a father before, you know how deep this one sits. And my dad was a hardworking man. And he was as, as good of a dad as he could have been with his upbringing and what he could have done. I know he did the best he could for me. But my dad would come home every single day from work with dirty, crunchy clothes on, working 10 to 12 hours, busting his ass, doing construction all day long. And he'd throw his lunchbox on the table and storm into the bedroom. Well, the one day 
my two sisters, Jocelyn and Jasmine, we were out in the living room playing just like innocent kids, like, you know, a lot of children do. And I heard my dad screaming. Yeah, he must've had a really bad day this day, but I heard him screaming. He's like, you know, if you don't shut up, I'm going to come out there. And of course we didn't obey. And next thing I hear is thump, 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 thump. And I look up and my dad's coming running down the hallway with a loaded 12 gauge shotgun. And he brings it up to me and he puts it right in my face so close that I could smell the barrel of the steel. And he goes, if you don't shut up, I'm going to shoot you. And I thought to myself, why would someone want to hurt someone just having fun? And I didn't understand it at the time, but how he was projecting all of his sadness and hurt and anger onto me. And the next layer to that pain was my older sister, Jocelyn, the following year about 13, when I was about 13 years old, I was breaking into the bathroom and I was going to pour a bucket of ice cold water on her while she's in the shower. And I'm sure your listeners have pulled that prank before. Maybe you have too, Adam, but I thought it was funny, man. It was the middle of summer. She's in the shower. I can hear the shower running and I'm like, I really got her right now. So I'm fidgeting with the lock and I couldn't get the lock open. So finally I said, screw it and kick the door open. And when I kicked the door open, Jocelyn was laying on the floor with a needle in her arm. And at that point, she had legally overdosed on heroin. So I have her in my arms and I'm screaming, I'm crying to my mom, going, mom, 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 what happened? What happened? Because I, I had no idea at the time. And we rushed her to the hospital and we got her revitalized. And for the last 15 years, Jocelyn's been addicted to heroin. But throughout that journey of living with Jocelyn, while she was literally living in the basement, like a monster in the basement doing crack and heroin and having drug dealers show up at the house. Jocelyn and I had gotten to a big fight and she pulled out a butcher's knife when we were arguing in the kitchen. And she said, I'm going to stab you with this. And I ran into my bedroom and I locked the door and I laid on the ground and I started crying. And it was that deep cry, like that cry where your, your throat's closing down, your chest is closing down. My world was just going black. And I thought to myself, like, this, this has to stop. Like, what can I do to stop this? I just want to, I wanted to not feel this pain anymore. Everything that was going on in my life, everything was built up. I was so angry. I was so sad. I was so hurt. And I looked up in the corner of my room. I actually had my own 20 gauge shotgun. And I thought to myself, what would it be like if I just took that and took my life right now? And I sat with it and I processed it. But then all of a sudden, I felt like this crazy vibration of energy, like these like waves of energy flowing through me. And I heard this voice. And this voice said, you are not permitted to leave yet because you have work here to do. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. But fast forward about eight or nine years, I got to this realization in my life that I could continue to be a victim of my life and hope people felt bad for me, or I could choose start taking responsibility and work on myself and start healing myself. And that's what led me into spiritual healing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really powerful story. And, and what do you think? Um, do you think that it is? I mean, I think you even kind of alluded to it a bit earlier, but it's a little bit almost can be seen in a positive way that you're pushed to that break of, break of, you know, having your throat close up and trying to, you know, cry, but it's just so difficult to even get it out. You're just, you've reached that limit. But now that's when that voice comes through. You know what I mean? That's when that light breaks through and you really experience sort of a, a little bit of an intuitive understanding of, of your mission or purpose in life, you know, of why you're here, of, of why you took an incarnation to begin with. So do you think that it, it, 
for a lot of people listening to this, they may be going through similar, you know, difficulty and, and challenges in their life and struggles. And what do you think it is that people need to really do in order to hear that voice for themselves, in order to really open up and have that, that light shine in or shine through? You know, especially if they're experiencing difficulty with, you know, suicidal thoughts. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of people like that as well. And um, it's sometimes just so dark for them. But that voice, that, that inner voice, that inner guidance, it, it, it can break through, you know, any type of darkness. It is so strong, so powerful. So what is it that you could give anyone any piece of advice to really open themselves up, to really listen to their own inner voice? Such a great question. You know, I think that inner voice is always there. I think that we just do a really good job of distracting ourselves just enough so we can't hear it. We can't hear the wisdom from within because our mind is so loud and so cloudy. It's almost like, have you ever been driving at night and it was really foggy out and like you can't see like 10 feet in front of your car? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When we are asleep, when we are unconscious, that's what we, that's what we live like. We're driving this car down the highway, but there's so much fog, we can't see more than 10 feet in front of us. So the more we practice stillness and the more we practice meditation and mindfulness and, and releasing and healing these things that don't serve us, the more we kind of clean up that karmic residue and clear up the fog so we can see ourselves more clearly, we can see our true selves more clearly and we can hear our true selves more clearly because what most of us hear is the mind chatter is the ego it's not the true self but the ego is so elusive so good at playing games that it puts these veils in front of us in front of our true selves so we can't see ourselves clearly so we go through life not knowing who we are we get into these relationships not knowing who we are and we expect this other person to know who we are when we don't even know who we are. We're going to jobs with bosses that don't know who we are because we still don't know who we are. And we just kind of live in this very fogged out lifestyle. And I lived this for so long because I was angry. And the anger clouded me. The anger clouded my mind. The anger clouded my heart because I was so blocked for so long. So I think that the more that we clear it up, we do the healing, we do the inner work, we sit down and we meditate, we work with healers, we get guidance, we work with a teacher, we do these things, the more that we can see and hear our true selves clearly. Back to really pinpoint this to your really your question here is you have to feel you have to feel. Most of us have disconnected from our hearts, so we hide out in our logical minds. And I really want people to listen and think about this right now. How often do you just sit there and feel? Feel your body, feel your energy, feel your heart. How often do you just feel and tune in with yourself? Or is your mind so busy planning, organizing, strategizing that you never feel? So when we start to feel ourselves, when we start to feel the emotion, the energy flowing through us, we can actually begin to release and activate this deep, sacred healing. But it's tough, man, because a lot of people don't, aren't ready to do that. A lot of people aren't really ready to shed this pain because it takes work. And the work that is not something that you can physically see either. And that's the problem 
if it's a problem, I don't consider it a problem with this, with this type of healing is it's not like a physical, tangible result. It's energy, right? So once you clean up that energy, your energy, your vibration through the healing, you can start to he hear yourself more clearly and know who you are at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. No, it makes sense. And what do you find that people are most caught up in? from your experience, because I know you do some therapy work and some group work as well. So what do you find that's the main hang up that people have in their inability to release it? You know, whether it's they're holding on to anger or just past trauma and not really able to transmute that into more positive feelings and emotions. Um, is there anything in particular or just some sort of similarity in, in the experiences people have and, and what they're hanging on to that from what you've noticed? You know, I mean, <laughs> we're all one energy, right? So we all have our different neurosis going on, if you will. And it just depends on what story you believe the most. So I don't know if there's one specific thing that everyone holds on to. Obviously at the root of it all is some form of fear, but it just really depends on what story you've believed the most, like who you believed the most growing up in your childhood, whether it was your father telling you you weren't good enough, whether it was your mother shaming you or guilting you you know it, it really just depends on what story you hold on the most and which one you choose to believe the most so if it's the anger which is a big one for a lot of people shame guilt abandonment is a big one for a lot of people because they didn't have that strong present father figure in their life so they felt abandoned. So then they attract these emotionally unavailable people because they're still emotionally unavailable themselves. I mean, there's so many different like pathways that we could take this down, but you know, at, at, at the, the foundation of them, which, cause I hear a lot of them, shame, guilt, fear, anger, doubt, these type of things, they're stemming from this place of being programmed almost like with a faulty file. Like if your computer were to get a virus, it's almost like we've had like these viruses downloaded into our energetic system. And whatever your story is, you know, whatever your stuff is, whatever your neurosis is, is the one that you've held on to. And you know what it is too. You know exactly what it is because, and if you don't start paying attention because the universe is going to send you vibrational matches. It's going to send you mirrors of the stuff that you need to heal internally. It will send you teachers of the stuff that you get to heal internally. Everything that shows up in your reality is a teacher, if you choose to look at it like that. It's just a reflection of what you feel internally. So, for example, if you attract someone to you, maybe that they're very angry, they're only mirroring the anger that you have inside, right? In, in that moment. So instead of blaming that person, self-reflect and just say, oh, well, maybe I'm holding on to this anger because of how angry I was at my dad growing up or my mother and the lack of love that I received. And this is why inner child healing is so powerful because when you go back and you connect to that little boy or little girl that you've been neglecting for so long, you can reconnect to your childlike innocence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really about the inner child. Like that's the one that's so creative, open, willing to play, have these wonderful experiences. And then all of a sudden we become so rigid, closed off, you know, just from the, the loads of stuff coming in over the years. And it is, I love your, your analogies, especially when it comes to the Do you know why that is though? Mm, why? Do you know why that is? Why we become so rigid? 
because we live in such a masculine grid society. So the child is the feminine energy. It's playful. It's movement. It's flow. It's laughing. It's all everything, emotion and feeling. That is all feminine energy. But with this grid, this locked down grid of masculine energy, all about building, achieving, succeeding, planning, strategizing, organizing, it's all mind stuff. The masculine is all logic and mind. We have repressed the vibrancy, the radiance of the feminine energy. So that's why we disconnect from our feminine heart, which we all have both masculine and feminine, has nothing to do with your gender. We've disconnected from the feminine heart because this masculine energy has become too rigid. It's almost like if you had a bottle, you've put down the lid so tight, this, this bottle being the masculine energy. And inside of that is the purity of your feminine innocence, okay? Most people can't get the lid off. So they can't access the vibration of love in their feminine heart. And it's very difficult because you have, you, you have both energies, so you can use both energies. But we've neglected one of the energies, which has created an energetic imbalance within so many people around the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Our world has a north, our planet has a north and south pole. If one of them were to go out of orbit, we'd f- fly out into space. Within you, you have a masculine and feminine pole. So when one of those goes out of orbit, guess what? You're flying out of space. Like it's the same, it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. I find that for me, especially I do, I, I, again, I love your analogies. It's uh, it's really well worded. The, the bottle, it almost feels like I do have this, uh, this, you know, feminine type of open, loving, compassionate energy bottled up sometimes. And it's like, I need to like remind myself, okay, let's just unscrew it let it out a little bit, you know, cause it's, it does get locked down so much. Um, mostly. Why, do you, why do you feel, why do you feel like you're not able to fully express yourself? You know, it's because of, it could be part of the part of upbringing and everything else. Uh, I've, I've sort of analyzed a lot of that. Um, but then but don't analyze part, it because that, that's what got you in the trap in the first place. You yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You know? Oh, I can feel into it. Um, I think in large part, it's, it's my, my, daily role, my daily job is very analytical. I'm in, uh, you know, I'm a lot of business stuff. I've had businesses for, you know, almost 20 years now um, and numbers and, you know, very logical based things. So it's almost like, I'm sure if I was to do spiritual work and healing and intuitive and therapy work all day long, I'd be a little bit more open and receptive to it all the time. But it's like, as soon as we hop off a call, I might have to deal with five clients with these issues and these developers and these, this and that. And it, it all just becomes very like, you know, get things done. Right. So I think it's just one of those things I need to just constantly have this awareness or this witness of, and then make sure that I do open up that bottle now and then, um, because it is resourceful and it, it is great to use, even when it comes to those tasks of managing people, because if you manage people strictly with this masculine energetic style, then it's going to crash and burn. There needs to be that balance, even in how you manifest what you're doing throughout the day. And that, that's my experience. It's like, I, sometimes if I sit back on a project, I did it just a few days ago. We have this major deadline for Friday to launch this thing for some company. And it's like, I stepped back on it and I just was able to come to this realization of a certain direction we should go that I know allows us to hit this deadline. Whereas if I was just hammer away at it, you know, with logic, 
the project wouldn't have probably made the deadline that's going to be this Friday. So we would have had some issues. But I think that's part of the, the, the thing is this, this my role, professional role kind of brings me back into um, that state of being. Uh, but I think over the years and having this podcast and having these conversations, that's part of my practice in opening up. And, uh, it, it, and that's that balance for me. Cause, cause prior to that, you know, going back many years, I had no understanding of spirituality whatsoever. If we were to go back, you know, maybe eight years, uh, anything, even the word God was probably triggering for me back then. So, um, you know, it's been, it's been a work in progress anyways, but yeah, these conversations are, are definitely helpful for me. So do me a favor, do me a favor. Do me a favor right now. Yeah. I, I want to, then your listeners can do this as well. Sure. Just go ahead and, and breathe out and continue to breathe out until I tell you to stop. Just keep pushing out. Don't breathe back in. Just go ahead and do it. Okay. Go ahead. Push out. Breathe. Keep breathing. Push out. Push out. Push out. I think I'm all empty right now. Yeah. The masculine energy is giving. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you never take the time to breathe back in, then you're never receiving the radiance and the love of life. It's a 50-50 balance. And if if you're not doing that, you're going to start to feel very tense, very heady, very rigid, very stressed. Your body may even develop pains. And And now imagine being a woman with a feminine core and having this much masculine energy. You probably have more of a masculine energy. So it's more natural to you, but yet even someone like I have a masculine core and when I'm in my masculine energy all day long, building and succeeding and striving and all these planning and goal oriented stuff, I have to take time from it and move my body, breathe, get away from it, go into nature. I have to do these things daily or else I become pretty much like useless because I'm like almost like, it's like, I'm almost like in this gray, like life. Like imagine if you walked outside right now and everything was just gray. There was no people, nothing. Everything you saw was gray. Mm-hmm. And that's the world that so many people live in is just, just everything is neutral. Everything is gray because the masculine energy is all about death. It's everything bringing it to an end. Okay. So you're telling me that, you know, I'm in my logic all day long, which is fine. You can use your logic, but if you don't have some form of feminine flow, the feminine, and the thing is too, like, I feel like when men hear this, they're like, oh, feminine energy is weakness, blah, blah, blah. You have both energies. That's like saying my right ear is better than my left ear. Ironically, the, the right side of the body is the masculine side of the body where the left side is the feminine. You know, there's, there's no good or bad. It's just, you have both. So why would you not use them both? You know? So I would invite you and anyone else struggling with this issue to take a look at how rigid your life is and ask yourself how much flow is in my life because what happens so often when the masculine is imbalanced that lids on too tight feminine can't breathe so but then again if there was no container which is the masculine energy that water inside the flow of the feminine would spill all over the place okay so that's the other side of the imbalance so with the masculine imbalance you become too rigid too tense too tight with the feminine imbalance, you become chaotic, disorganized, ungrounded. So that, mm-hmm. that's where you get to really take a look at your life. Like a lot of, for example, a lot of feminine people will have thousands of ideas, but they can't execute because they haven't called in their own masculine energy. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they don't have the structure, the plan, the organization to call in that masculine energy, their own masculine energy to create that and execute. Mm-hmm. 
See, but then masculine people struggle with the feminine. With that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Executing is, is something it's like I do very well. Um, but definitely it, it's kind of like what you said. It's when I do want that feminine, I have to just open the bottle a little bit. And then I will like close it back off to get to get back to business or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's just releasing that little bit. Uh, and, you know, I have a partner, a wife, we've been together for about um, you know, 12 years now. And she is very, very feminine, very like, I don't even know how to put it. She's basically like the girliest of girls you can think of. She's your energetic um, reciprocal. Yeah, yeah. And in a large <laughs> part, and her name is Grace as well. You know, funny enough, yep. her name is Grace. So in, in large part, it's very much just the, the opposite there. And it creates a nice balance for me, especially if we're out and about. She's very like open, bubbly and everything, you know, all that. I'm more like a stoic type reserved in a way. So it's good. I'm usually like, okay, you go off and talk to those people and be friendly and do your thing. You know, I'll, I'll just hang out. Um, but I am open and willing to, to have conversations with people. But um, yeah, I definitely appreciate your feedback on that. And I hope anyone listening can, can certainly take in some of that advice as well. And I do find that the breathing is a huge factor. Sometimes it's like I have to stop and remind myself like, hey, are you, are you breathing right now? You know, I actually started doing this practice and recommending it to someone where you take a little piece of string and just wrap it around your belly button, your navel, not too tight. Use two fingers even, and then you separate the string. So now you can actually breathe into, through deep belly breathing while you're working at a computer or anything else, and breathe into that string, at least have that physical cue of like touching the string. Now you're retracting your belly, now you're breathing into your belly, you know? So at least it, it reminds you with the physical cue as well as just having to like, you know, remind yourself mentally. Um, so anyone listening want to try that out? It certainly helps quite a bit. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you have any specific meditation routine that you employ either on a, you know, a daily basis, weekly basis, multiple times throughout the day. It doesn't have to be cross legged lotus type of thing to be, you know, <laughs> a walking meditation, a laying down, you know, meditation, whatever you want. Do you have something that you do regularly or often? Yeah, the one that works. <laughs> <laughs> and I assume it involves breathing. Of course. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a big advocate. I teach this at my retreats, you know, that with the masculine feminine energy, the inner child healing, all that stuff. I love it all. You know, with meditation, this is something that I've adopted for many years now. I was, I was the type of kid that was placed in all the assisted learning classes, could never focus, ADD, ADHD, every, all of it, right? When I started meditating though, it brought me into a state where I could, well, at first it was very frustrating and very weird feeling and very uncomfortable, but it brought me into deeper and deeper states of stillness. Okay. Mm. What meditation? Well, first of all, before we say how I meditate, why don't we talk about why I meditate? Because I think if if people understand why they should do it, they might be more apt to do it. With meditation, what we can do is we can calm, calm our mind. We can calm ourselves, calm our bodies and just kind of dissolve um, energetic blockages, if you will, through meditation maybe not all of them, but it can definitely be a catalyst. Imagine that your mind is like a pond full of muddy, murky water. You're not going to be able to see the bottom of that pond. Okay. And there's probably a bunch of of ripples and boats going through and everything else in your busy mind. The more you settle into your meditation, you drop into your meditation, the more that you will clear up that cloudiness and you'll be able to see deeper and deeper and deeper into that pond. So with that being said, it's a practice. You're not going to meditate one time and all of a sudden become enlightened. Like, that's just not how it works. Maybe you will. I mean, I believe the Buddha meditated for like six weeks straight where his skin was like falling off. I don't know exactly how long, but his skin to the point was like falling off because he, he said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get enlightened underneath this lotus tree or whatever the type of tree was. And 
that's the type of dedication to meditation that I believe that we should go into it with patience, with understanding, with the knowing that this is going to take work. Like this is, this is going to be a practice. Like you don't go into the gym one time and get a six pack. Okay. You're not going to drop down on your meditation pillow and all of a sudden become this enlightened being. Okay. It's just not, it's not going to happen. So go into it with understanding of why you should adopt the meditation practice and knowing that it's going to take years probably for you to really start to really settle into it. Maybe, maybe shorter, maybe months to really settle into that meditation where you feel good, like you can do it. Um, so if you have really bad back problems, you can lay down into it, but try sitting up with a straight spine. Okay. So this is more getting into the how now try sitting up more with a straight spine. Okay. When we have the straight spine, the energy can flow up and down the chakra system. Our chakras, the seven chakras, if you don't know the chakra system and basically seven energy centers in the body. But the energy allows it to flow up and down more freely when the spine is straight. So if you're laying down, make sure your spine is straight and try not to fall asleep if you lay down. But sitting up obviously works best. And sitting in a chair is an option. I would say the best form that I've found is actually sitting on the ground, okay? Now I can show you, I actually have my meditation pillow right here. This meditation pillow, where's the brand here? This one... I got this on Amazon. It was like 30 bucks on Amazon. It's made with buckwheat. Okay. I love it. I love that, that meditation pillow. I am not very flexible in my hips. So me cross-legged on a meditation pillow is not going to work. What I learned with studying with Buddhist monks is on my knees and sitting on the pillow. It's much more comfortable and I can sit up straight with my spine and it allows me to really drop into this meditation deeper. Another thing too is have a, have a space in your house where you can actually meditate at like some, you know, I have a puja table is what it's called. Mm -hmm. I have a puja table set up, you know, with uh, pictures and whatever else, candles and crystals, whatever you want at your puja table, but have a space in your house where you basically say, this is where I meditate. Okay. So you got your pillow, a mat, little puja table, and just start small, you know, start with practice with five minutes, play around with that. Do, do good at five minutes, go up to 10, 15, 20, make the time for it in the morning you know, at, at night, you know, whatever the time of day is going to work to it, but just commit to it for 90 days and just see what happens. And you'll notice you'll be more calm. You won't be as reactive. Someone triggers you, you'll be able to process it before maybe you won't even lash out, but you'll, you'll notice and be more aware of your thoughts because you, what meditation allows us to do is basically see how trapped our mind is. You know, one of my practices when I, when I meditate is I like to basically observe my thoughts as if like there were clouds floating through, right? So for example, it'd be like a cloud of anxiety. Look at this anxiety coming through right now and just like kind of watch it float through. Or it's like, oh, here comes this money block again. Oh, here comes the money obsession. Keep going. It just floats on by. Oh, here comes a little bit of anger feeling it, feeling this anger. Like you just feel all the tension and tightness. And, you know, that's kind of the meditation practice I have. I don't know if there's like a specific name for it, but kind of adopted my own style, if you, if you will. But, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like you're in doing that, you're creating a separation from those feelings of anxiety or whatever it is. And you, then you don't have that identification with it. You don't get as caught up in it. You just kind of like let it come and let it go. It's a very, uh, it's almost like a Zen practice. Um, what you're describing actually sounds very much, well, I mean, you, you, you work with some Buddhist monks. It sounds very much like a, 
of a lot of the Tibetan type of Buddhism uh, practices. And I actually had a Tibetan Buddhist Lama on another episode, um, and we talked about Dzogchen meditation, which is just embracing natural great perfection, going out, sitting and staring at the sky, just opened and you know, just enjoying it all, taking it all in, um, and you know, taking in everything, taking in your whole experience, and sort of embracing that. Whether, whether you call it the good or the bad, whatever it is, it's all part of one great perfection unfolding. And uh, to expect the average person walking around to understand how that unfolds is ridiculous. But the thinking analytical mind will try and pick away at it for sure and come to the, you know, try to come to certain understandings. But just to sit back and let it all go and then embrace how it's just wonderful, all of it's so wonderful, uh, is a great way to just release some of that tension. So I personally love doing that type of practice myself. I like to go to water, just sit and stare out at the water. Um, it just, yeah, clears my mind completely. That's one thing actually for me personally, I used to have a lot of issues with the, the spinning mind constantly, um, you know, just the mouse running on the wheel. But uh, with that practice, it's just been a great help or mantra really helps me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing your practice as well. And I yeah. do think it's great to do a morning sort of evening one just you know start the day right end the day nicely you know before you go to bed and uh i try to do that myself sometimes i miss them but I, yeah I, I try for sure well so you know that, that goes back to before this next question this goes back sure, to, sure. to uh just do the best you can you know don't don't try mm -hmm. to overdo it overthink it just do the best you can and the next if you really want to become an advanced practitioner of meditation bring your meditation to an every day every moment right? Like where mm -hmm. you're in yeah. this constant state of meditation. So like if you feel triggered, you're meditating. So like you can observe it, you can feel it where you're not reacting. Cause as you know, the work doesn't happen when you're sitting on your meditation pillow in Lotus position, the work happens when you're feeling the most triggered, the most hurt, the most upset, you know, like that's where the real work is. And there's this great story <laughs> of this Yogi who was like, I'm going to master meditation. I'm going to become enlightened. So he moved into Himalayan mountains. He moved into a cave and he meditated every day for like 12 hours a day, ate like a grain of rice every single day. And he was there for many years. And one day he's like, I'm going to take a trip down to the village. And he walked down to the village and some stranger passing by bumped into him and he turned around and he punched him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where the work is, man. It's like, yeah, you can read all the books. You can listen to all the podcasts. You can meditate all day long. If you don't apply what you're learning, it's useless. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like whenever I'm driving and I'm with my wife and uh, driving is a huge trigger for me. <laughs> we came up with this. Uh, we should have a mindfulness jar on the front of the vehicle and I can just throw change into it every time I swear while I'm driving. So that was one of the main reasons I got out of the city of Toronto was because I, everything was just so triggering for me after a certain point. And I understand the practice. Actually, there's, um, I think it's Mirabai Bush or something. She's a spiritual practitioner and she puts herself right in the middle of New York City. And that's part of her practice to take the subway every day and try to be mindful as she's going about her daily routine. routine. So I think that someone that's able to do that um, you know, kudos to them because I, I had to tap out after a few years. I was like, okay, too many people, too much, you know, cluster. And uh, I don't think I'm going to move to a mountain per se, but I certainly have moved slightly out of the city. Uh, and that's helped me quite a bit. More nature, less people. Um, so I do want to get into the next question I have for you, which is, have you had any psychedelic experiences you'd like to share um, over, over the years? None whatsoever. 
No, I'm, I'm not really, you know, me personally with like psychedelics, it's, I mean, everybody has their, has their thing, right? It's just, to me, people I've, I've observed people really get hooked on that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think with my sister's drug addiction, mm -hmm. I never, I didn't have like a big, a big feeling or a big, uh, great reason to do any psychedelics. Not that I have anything in great because I think plant medicine can be amazing if facilitated by a person knows what they're doing. But, you know, it's not something I've ever recommended to people. It's not something I'm like, oh, you should go try psychedelics because my healing came through working with, with other healers, working with myself, learning and understanding myself, meditating, practicing, releasing and healing, crying it out. You know, I think that there's so many other options. I mm -hmm. think that you just do, if you're going to do those things, just be, be aware and really know what you're doing and putting in your body. That's, mm -hmm. that's my that's take some, on psychedelics. Yeah, that's some great advice. Definitely some great advice because a lot of yeah. people do get a little bit too caught up in using those things. And I've had many conversations with people and we talk about the, the fact that they'll go and constantly use these things. They become vices and they don't actually take anything back with them into the day-to-day -day experience. It's like they go and do the drug and then they come back and they have the same typical life that they were having. They go do more drugs on the weekend, come back. You know, if they're doing ayahuasca retreats or anything like that, it's like, it's just constantly, it's like applying aspirin, you know what I mean? Without actually doing the work. So just constantly medicating, medicating, medicating. So I think there is a healthy way to have a good relationship with these, yep. with these tools and psychedelics, but it definitely is the route of finding a practitioner, doing it in the right set and setting. And then I think they, they can be powerfully transformational for people. So that's why I throw in some of the questions relating to psychedelics. I just always like to get people's opinion on them. And especially because now they're coming to light as being, more for therapeutic purposes, treating PTSD and, and similar things, uh, you know, under therapeutic settings, of course. Yeah. So uh, I know that you have a podcast. Um, can you tell me a little bit about it? What type of guests you have on there and how long you've been doing it for? Yeah, it's the Awake with Jake show, available all places, iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff. I've been doing it for about two years now, and I don't do too many interviews at this point. I did a bunch in the beginning, have some great interviews on there. I do a lot of solo episodes, so I'll do guided meditations, I'll do energy updates, you know, I'll talk about masculine, feminine energy, inner child healing, you know, really things that actually I feel have helped me along my path and my journey. And I try to be precise with my messages and try not to get too long-winded. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's really, to me, the podcast is another vehicle to spread more love and consciousness in our world. And just really is just another vehicle to help people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have a YouTube channel as well. When did you start that one? That's been there for a couple of years. I've actually recently got more active on YouTube though. So I'm, I'm going to keep posting the YouTube videos and, mm -hmm, and, and really mm -hmm. going deeper on YouTube. Yeah, you've been very active on, on Instagram, I've noticed, producing a lot of content on there and really helping a lot of people. looks like you're getting a, a pretty good community going. And when, how long have you been on Instagram now? Probably like five or six years. Okay. You know? And are you noticing, yeah. like, it's starting to really ramp up in that community, the spiritual community? I mean, I'm noticing it on the page I have, but it seems just, you know, I, I think I've had my page for about three or four years. And back when I first started it, it wasn't you know, such a big niche and booming niche on Instagram. But I love the fact that I see that now. So, um, you know, thank you for continuing to improve content on Instagram as well. Because I, I do go through, skin some of your comments every now and then if it appears in my feed and people just love what you talk about. It really resonates with them. So anyone listening to this, definitely hit up Jake on Instagram. I'll put all the links to all of your socials uh, in the description of this episode as well. So if anyone wants to visit your website, your YouTube, your podcast, your Instagram, it'll all be down there. Um, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. Yeah. yeah I mean, I just, I'm just, I come from a place of, of good intentions and a pure heart. And I think that's what we should all adopt in this life. If we want to get free, at least. 
Mm -hmm. I was about to ask you for some closing thoughts, but you pretty much just shot me some really great ones there. So I, I think open heartedness is a great way to summarize. I'll give you, I'll give you some closing. I'll give you some closing. Yeah, thoughts. Hit me with some good stuff. <laughs> you know, actually I can read you a poem that I wrote. That is my, my kind of little closing poem that it's called the awakened heart. If you would like. Sure. I'd love it to. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Well, let me just pull it up here. So the name of this poem is called The Awakened Heart. Your time here is limited, but there's a reason why you visited. Think of all the people you can help heal when you open your heart and start to feel. The beauty of your essence comes from your loving presence. Remember to always stay curious and don't take things too serious. Don't stress the past or what happened last. Don't worry about what's to come. It will leave you feeling numb. Feel free to smile more than once in a while. Forgive others who have hurt you because they hurt too. Be gentle with yourself and you will find that inner peace is the ultimate wealth. See hard times as a way for you to grow and the light within you will really start to glow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I assume you use much of your feminine energy to write that, your creative essence to write that stuff. That's really great. That's a great example of actually summarizing what we even covered earlier in the conversation. So thank you for sharing that. And, you, and you're using your masculine energy to bring this conversation to an end. <laughs> yeah, I, I am, but I do have one more question for you, which is how do you, how is it that you are, are able to be so open, especially on social media and this and that? A lot of people, I find that open communication is a great way to heal. Um, and aside from people just writing comments and whatnot on your posts, maybe they want to go and create a, an Instagram page or you know a YouTube channel or a podcast or anything like that, but they might be so held back and unwilling to open themselves up I find you're so free and expressive to tell your story. Is there any advice you can share for someone that, that feels a little bit closed off, but has that, that inner divine in that bottle and they want to open it up and they, you know, they're just feeling a little bit uh, resistance there. Absolutely, man. I think that when your desire to serve and help other people heal becomes greater than your fear of rejection and what people might think, then there'll be no more question about your vulnerability. Vulnerability, once again, is connected to the feminine essence. So if you don't have a good relationship with your feminine energy, you're going to struggle to be vulnerable. You know, so I think learning how to feel your feelings, connect to your heart, and these things will allow you to open up because vulnerability to me and what I've learned, it, it creates an environment where other people feel safe because they're like, wow, he struggled with that too oh man, I guess I can share my story now. You know, so it's like, you really want to ask yourself, what type of leader am I? Are you a leader? Because you're teaching people that it's safe now to share your story of abuse, of trauma, of sexual abuse, whatever you went through by sharing your own story. And there's a great story of Gandhi, how he was getting on the train cart and one of his followers approached him and they said, Gandhi, Gandhi, please, please give me a message. I need something. I need something to bring back to my town, a message. So Gandhi took out a little pen and little paper and he wrote on it and handed it to him and got on the train cart and left. And the message said, my life is my message. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. ask yourself, what is your message? And is it, is it strong enough? Is it big enough? Is it, does it have enough heart in it? to share with other people, no matter what people might think of you. Because no matter what you do in life, people are going to judge you. I don't care if you promote puppies. 
for a living. There will be people in this life that hate puppies. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like what you said. It's almost like doing it for yourself so that you can lead by example. Even if you have trauma or anything pent up, you know that by opening, opening up and releasing it, you can help others do the same surely by the fact that they're you know, in awe of the fact that you were able to do so. So as a testament of that yourself, you are a testament of that for a lot of people and how open you are. I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of those people. And again, thank you for taking the time to have this chat for those closing thoughts. And uh, I really appreciate it. Again, I'll put all your links in, in the episode so people can check you out. And I hope that people spam you with questions and heart emojis and all that stuff, because that would be wonderful if so. Um, but otherwise, thanks again for having the chat. And, and uh, we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Thank you for having me, brother. It was an honor.